The specter of an even more serious deflationary money outbreak, more serious than the one last month, continues to rise. And with it rises the specter of a deflationary economy, the worst case possible that there is. Stop me if you've heard this before. Four-week Treasury bill. The yield is plummeting during the U.S. Tra regular trading session. It happened again today. As I speak, the four-week Treasury bill rate is below 3.5%, down more than 20 basis points again today. For reference, the current RRP is 4.8. And if the Fed gets away with another rate hike, it'll be 5.05 likely in just a couple weeks time and here the four-week treasury bill is yielding less than 3.5 percent that's 130 basis points of a liquidity premium or discount on the rate or return in order for market participants to ensure that they have these instruments available for what to use as safety, to use mostly as collateral because they don't trust the Fed, they don't trust the monetary system, liquidity is not good, and the prospects for even worse continue to go up. Not only do we have the scramble or the run in collateral, really, this is another run in collateral in the forward treasury bill, we had another scramble in the three-month bill, which was down in the typical pattern in the early morning hours. As I said, these things continue to happen not day after day but enough days that you say at some point something is really going to break here as i said the specter of deflationary money a worse deflationary outbreak than last month continues to rise and as i talked about yesterday that's what we've been presented with really for quite some time here it was never inflation in 2020 and 2021 instead Economists had told policy, politicians and policymakers to follow John Maynard Keynes' advice and just throw everything against the wall. Just to, you know, they created an economic crisis in 2020, in, you know, arguably unnecessarily, in order and then in order to get everyone out of it or hopefully get everyone out of it. Again, they just threw as much as they could against the wall, thinking that if they did that, they could engineer a legitimate recovery. We could just put 2020 behind us and move on. And for a long time, people actually believed it because you heard Warren Buffett in 2021, the economy is red hot. Everybody thought there was a legitimate, massive recovery. In fact, a recovery that had gone too far and become an inflationary in 2021 into the early part of 2022. That never happened. The idea of just creating aggregate demand, government spending, or just governments giving anybody cash that they can, borrowed or not, it's, it's, it's one of those things that just doesn't line up with reality because ec economies, legitimate recoveries, um, organic economic, sustainable organic economic growth requires more than just throwing funds at the problem. You can't kick the, you can't kick the can down the road which is essentially what governments did in 2020. Now that we're down the road, we gotta see the other side of it. And really, we're gonna go back to John Maynard Keynes' word to words to describe what that means. Now, I'm no big fan of Keynes. I don't believe in aggregate demand. I think that's a stupid idea. And I think a lot of what, uh, what governments and economists have proposed in his name is just um, incredibly incredible folly. Yeah, but that, I mean, there's a lot of things that Keynes did say that are worth paying attention to. One is liquidity preferences. I think he was one of the first economists to really adequately describe something that we observe in the real economy. Economic actors, not just consumers, not just businesses, but also 
depository institutions and non-banks. They, they act on liquidity preferences that we can observe in reality. So I think Keynes got that one right. And he also got this one right too, when we talked about inflation versus deflation. In his words, deflation was by far the worst evil. Inflation robs savers, but deflation does something far, far worse. In 1923, Keynes wrote an essay in what he called Social Consequences. Um, and he talked about the 1920-21-22 depression, really 2020-21. Um, what he said was the depression of 21 and 22 did not reverse or even greatly diminish the relative advantage gained by the working classes over the middle class during the previous years. Because what was unique somewhat unique about the 2021-22 depression. There was no banking panic. There was no monetary deflation. There's no interruption in the, in the circulation of money in the economy as we needed to. So 1920 and 21, really 1921, was really more the long, all along the lines of a big recession. It was a very sharp downturn, but it didn't lead to the sort of permanent scars that we had seen in say 1893, or would again, in 1929, 1930, as well as 2007 and 2008. What distinguished those depressions from 1920, 21, 22 was, as Keynes said in Social Consequences, we see therefore that rising prices and falling prices each have their characteristic disadvantage. The inflation which causes the former means injustice to individuals and to classes, particularly rentiers, and is therefore unfavorable to saving. The deflation which causes falling prices means impoverishment to labor and to enterprise by leading entrepreneurs to restrict production in their endeavor to avoid loss to themselves and is therefore disastrous to employment. The labor market, the labor force, workers, they're the ones who bear the brunt of deflation, not capital holders and rentiers, as Keynes called it. Deflation is by far the worst outcome. And as time progresses, as the year progresses in 2023, what are we seeing? Bad economy, bad money continuing, getting worse, both of them coming closer together and colliding in exactly the way that the markets have been forecasting. It continues to happen, even though we don't hear about another bank failure, even though the Federal Reserve has completely forgotten about everything in mid-March, is now talking about inflation and getting back to business as usual. That's not the case. And today we're going to talk about why that is and what's really going on here. But first, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, Huge thank you to Eurodollar University members. And if you would like to join them, there's memberships available at the Eurodollar University website where we go into the background details behind the monetary system, what's really going on in money, what's really going on in markets, therefore what's really going on in the economy, which we talk about in our research subscriptions, the daily briefing that I do in partnership with Markets Insider Pro, as well as the daily deep dive analysis where I dive deep every day into just these sort of things so that you can understand what's going on so that hopefully you can better be prepared or be better prepared, either one, for what might happen tomorrow and the day after, maybe the years after that too. All of the information available for you at eurodollar.university. 
Now, I know that was sort of a long-winded introduction to deflation, but I think it was very it was necessary to review here because now we're getting the signs that it's not just money, it's not just T-bills. We're also starting to see that other part, the last shoe to drop on the deflationary economy, which is employment. As Keen said, it is disastrous to employment when you have deflationary money, bad economy, those two things get together. It's the workers who always suffer. The workers who suffered in the 19th century, it was the workers who absolutely suffered in the Great Depression for the Federal Reserve dropping the ball on what it was supposed to be doing, which was watching monetary evolution in the 19-teens and 1920s, something I talked about just recently in member videos. By the time we got to 1929-1930, the Fed didn't know what its job really was. It didn't know what signs to look for for illiquidity and deflation in the marketplace and the money system. Therefore, it was just sat there with its thumb up its butt while the Great Depression, the Great Collapse happened. In fact, in 1930, I think it was the annual report for the 1930 Fed, they talked, or 32 Fed even was, much later, where they said monetary policy has been easy. They thought monetary policy was easy during the Great Collapse into the Great Depression. If that sounds familiar, it really should, because the Federal Reserve's much later staff and, and policymakers under Ben Bernanke committed exactly the same error. They didn't know their jobs. They didn't know money. They sat there with their thumbs up their butt while they said subprime was contained when it was never really about subprime to begin with. And instead, what happened? We had this great, well, they called it a global financial crisis, but it was really a global dollar shortage that caused a great recession that wasn't a recession either. It turned out to be a depression. How do we know? Because it was disastrous to employment. Look at the participation rate. Look at where the participation rate, yes, it was a little bit lower in the first part of the 21st century, but look where it really dropped off. Beginning accidentally, getting, beginning random coincidence in 2008, I don't think so. It's right along the lines, as John Maynard Keynes had said, a century ago in social consequences. Deflationary money, therefore deflationary economy, is disastrous to employment. Workers pay for the mistakes that are made by these policymakers who claim that they have the monetary system covered when we know that they don't. How do we know that they don't? Well, that's what we talk about here on Eurodollar University. These money curves, the money system itself is telling us what's going on. And it has since last year, since last September. Remember I talked about the uh, unprecedented inversion in the German curve. Then we got massive inversions in the Treasury curve in Eurodollar futures, October, November, into December. Bigger inversions in January. The market's screaming for people to pay attention. Things are going badly long before we got to Silicon Valley Bank, long before people started talking about Credit Suisse again. Markets said the potential for these things is incredibly high. And now we got Silicon Valley Bank, which was an announcement that the crisis has just begun and it's still going, it's still happening. We're still getting these irregular market behaviors. Curves are still wildly inverted, even though they backed up recently because the Hawks are back in town, at least for a a little while. We'll see how long that lasts. And then today, four-week Treasury bill under 350. Just incredible. I mean, this is this is really post Bear Stearns types of behavior. Whether policymakers recognize it or not does not matter. It is happening, and the monetary system is telling you it is being deflationary. 
In one sense, policymakers know that it's possible. They do know. I mean, they've. We talked about the last FOMC meeting minutes where they said, "Yeah, we think there'll be a mild recession, but we're worrying that maybe this credit stuff gets out of hand and it becomes worse than a recession." Because as they wrote in the minutes, they wrote up our 2008-style scenario by saying, "Credit crunch combined with a bad economy gets to, produces a more." a worse recession that ends up being more prolonged, which is exactly what we've been talking about all along. And just yesterday, the Federal Reserve came out with its beige book. Now the beige book is, it's full of uh, policymaker bias because it's a collection of anecdotes that regional bank staffs and presidents put together. So they kind of throw in the beige book, basically what they're thinking and what they're, what they're, what they're seeing in their own interpretation. So it tells us a little bit of something about what these individual regional bank staffs think about what's going on in their regions. And when you know it, of course, the beige book has been all over inflation, inflation, inflation over the last year. That started to come down a little bit. They only mentioned inflation 19 times in the latest beige book that was released yesterday compared to 23 times in March and 30 times in January. So that's that's a somewhat of an indication there too, as is the fact that they mentioned the word liquidity a dozen times in yesterday's volume, where they only mentioned it once each in January and March. So now they're talking a lot about liquidity, which is kind of uh, an, important, uh, an important progression in even in policymaker thinking. What did they have to say about liquidity? Well, not much that's good. Here's from the, the, the beginning paragraph under the overall economic uh, condition. Lending volumes and loan demand generally declined across consumer and business loan types. Several districts noted that banks tightened lending standards amid increased uncertainty and concerns about liquidity. Wait a minute. The Federal Reserve has said, we got this covered. We did everything that we possibly could to save the system. Now the beige book is saying, wait a minute. Banks are tightening lending standards amidst, amidst increased in uncertainty and concerns about liquidity. Why would these banks be concerned about liquidity? The Fed has a new tool on top of all the other tools when it tells us all the time about its tools being so incredibly effective. But if that wasn't enough, uh, the comment made by the San Francisco Fed branch, which as you'll note is the epicenter for Silicon Valley Bank, was a little bit more blunt in its assessment of the potential fallout from last month. Here's what they said. Lending activity fell significantly in recent weeks amid higher interest rates, yes, sure, and elevated uncertainty in the banking sector. Lending standards tightened notably, and several depository institutions opted to reduce loan volumes, especially for new clients, despite reporting ample liquidity. The credit crunch liquidity concerns, tightened lending standards, the lessons of Bear Stearns. And of course the Fed says, well, maybe there'll be a mild recession. Yeah, I think it's a little bit more than that. And again, the Fed says, we've got everything covered, recovered. We've got everything handled. We've got all the tools. And here are the banks acting as if the Fed has no useful tools. They're not waiting on the Fed to figure anything out. They can see what's happening in the monetary system, what's going on in the marketplace, and they're battening down the hatches. They're putting into, into, they're acting on the lessons of Bear Stearns. 
And eventually, as they do, we get into deflation, really deflationary money, deflationary conditions, and therefore what Keynes said a, a century ago in social consequences, the consequences for society are in work and labor. Today, the, the Department of Labor reported a jump in jobless claims. Uh, initial claims spiked up to 254,000 from 240,000. Yes, they're still low, but 245,000, that's beginning to match the recent highs. And you can see jobless claims are starting to really tick up a little bit. And at some point we expect that they're going to surge. And as these, this credit crunch and deflationary money continues to work its way and undermine the real economy, that moment rapidly approaches. Maybe that's one reason why the four-week T-bill is now less than 3.5%. The more concerning number was, as usual, continued claims. The number of former workers who were on government payouts, that one jumped to 1.865 million from 1.804 million, which is the highest since November of 2021. Not November 2022. November 2021, and that one is on a clear incline upward, which tells you about the labor market, that those who have been laid off and have gone through the government process, they are not finding a new job. And one final data point today that also points to some troubling acceleration to the downside in the economy. The conference board leading economic indicator declined by 1.2% in March alone, which was double the rate that was expected. It's also now four, down 4.5% four on a six month basis, I believe, which is an annual rate well into recession territory. I mean, 4.5% by itself is in recession territory. Here's what the conference board said. The weaknesses among the index's components were widespread in March and have been so over the past six months, going back to when curves inverted as much as they did, which pushed the growth rate of LAI deeper into negative territory. The conference board forecasts that economic weakness will intensify and spread more widely throughout the U.S. over the coming months, leading to a recession starting in mid-2023. Just like the Fed, they're now forecasting a mild recession. But that's just what they can see. They can see a mild recession coming. They can see the economic downturn. They don't see or don't predict the deflationary scenario that's all over the marketplace and that continues to happen in reality. Remember how this went. When the curves first inverted, they said, ignore it. We only pay attention to the small part. Then when that small part inverted, they said, oh, forget that. Have you seen the unemployment rate? We never have recessions with an unemployment rate this low. Now they say, we're going to have a recession, sure, but it's only going to be a mild one. Meanwhile, we can see all the deflationary symptoms break out all over the place, including bank failures. It's not about bank failures. Those are the symptoms of deflationary money. And the two keep getting closer and closer and closer and closer together until that point when, as Keane says, in their endeavor to avoid loss to themselves, enterprises do what they have to do and is therefore disastrous to employment. I'm Jeff, this is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, huge thank you, Eurodollar University subscribers, marketsinsiderpro.com subscribers, Eurodollar University members. I love you guys. And until next time, take care.